Lord, we thank you for this first Sunday in the new year. And Lord, I pray that as we come together in community, that in all we do, we would just continue to set our face on Jesus, to look for your direction in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So speaking on the first Sunday in January, it feels like I should be reflecting on the past year and perhaps sharing a list of Christian sounding resolutions. While this is very important, I do want to slightly reframe the way in which we think as we enter the new year together. The scripture passages this Sunday have inspired me not to think in terms of lists of revolutions, of resolutions, but a renewal of vision, the motivations and the purposes we hold which shape our actions and resolutions. Establishing our vision means we do not look at our path behind and we don't look at the path in front, but instead we reset and we lift our eyes up to Jesus. We can find a more focused future through the renewal of our hope, the renewal of our faith, and the renewal of our vision for this year and beyond. I believe that hope and faith are the necessary first steps in leading us to this vision. We see examples of this in all the readings, and we see the thread of hope and vision interconnected and weaving in and out of both the Old and New Testament readings today. The restoration of hope and a vision for Israel's future in Jeremiah, the faithful deep desire to be in the presence of the Lord in the Psalms, the call to unity of all believers in Ephesians, and the steadfast faith of Joseph in receiving a word from the angel of the Lord. All of these passages contain themes of hope, faith, and renewed vision. And while I do want to focus on the interplay of faith and hope, and how they together lead us to renewed vision, I think it's important to acknowledge the reality that so often we can live each and every day governed by our daily routines, our jobs, and the associated stresses, problems, and complications in our personal lives and relationships. And as we become consumed by everyday life, we often have little room in our minds and hearts to focus on anything else. The result of this often leads to stress and fear, which can create a spiritual vacuum, which will inevitably be filled by something else. If our eyes are not lifted to heaven, if we are not plugged into a community of believers, if we are not seeking first his kingdom and constantly resetting our sight on Jesus, that gives an opening and an opportunity for the enemy to fill it with something else. And he will fill it with anything that will pull our minds and our hearts away from the love and care of Jesus. As soon as we let our eyes lower, we lose the ability to walk in godly vision and we're hit with distraction, discouragement, and conflict of every kind. As we reflect on this past year and look to the year ahead, we can be honest and say that it was difficult for some and it was challenging and that's life. Last year had its own story and this year will have its own story 
and it is inevitable that we will be challenged. But in all of this, we can rest assured that God has a plan for our lives. He has a vision for us, our families, and our community. We can be sure that there is a heavenly covenant that gives us hope and sturdies our faith. In Jeremiah 29, we receive a beautiful promise from the Lord. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The book of Jeremiah constantly reminds us of God's promises, God's vision for us, and the covenantal relationship God has with Israel, and in turn for us as his beloved children. Even in our own failures and the failures of God's people throughout history, God's promises, his hope for humanity, his love and compassion have remained constant. And we see many examples of this through the prophets. In Jeremiah 11, it says, they have returned to the iniquities of their fathers of old who refused to heed my words. They too have followed other gods and served them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant that I made with their fathers. And we also see in Ezekiel 1659, it says, truly, thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have dealt, for you have spurned the pact and violated the covenant. These are just two of numerous examples of how as a nation, Israel broke and cast aside its covenant with God. But we see that even so, God held firm in his relationship with his people, promising renewal in spite of their failings. And although Ezekiel 16.59 states that God will deal harshly with his people, verse 60 concludes, nevertheless, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish it with you as an everlasting covenant. This, in fact, is a reoccurring theme throughout the process that in spite of Israel's lapses, God will never let go. He will never allow us to lose sight of our cosmic mission and a hope and a vision for the future. Today's reading in Jeremiah follows the same pattern of warning and restoration, of hope and vision for the future. The chapter further continues that as part of the covenant, God would place his Torah upon the hearts of the Israelites. In verse 33 and 34, but such is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my teaching into their innermost being and inscribe it upon their hearts. Then I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will they need to teach one another and say to one another, heed the Lord for all of them from the least of them to the greatest shall heed me, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. God demonstrates an abounding grace to the Israelites. Even though they had broken the original covenant with God, he would create a newer, stronger one in its place. Throughout his ministry, Jeremiah constantly tells the Israelites what they would rather not hear. 
Most notably, that God spurns sacrifices unaccompanied by ethical behavior and a shift in their hearts. And that Judah's revolt against Babylon will fail and lead to the country's destruction. Jeremiah was not popular. His prophecies were rather tough and challenging to receive. I imagine most Israelites regarded him as a despair-ridden crank, for they seemed certain that their sacrifice before God would ensure their and the temple's safety and guarantee a successful revolt. However, Jeremiah realized very early on that there was very likely no way the Judeans could beat the Babylonians. And if they tried, that the Judeans and the Jewish people would be destroyed and would leave the scene of the world forever. His message is clear. He implores the Jewish people to turn their hearts to God. And the amazing thing is that despite his many rebukes and warnings, at the core of his message was an incredible vision of hope and restoration. Jeremiah saw and understood that God was greater than just the land of Israel, that God was with God's people wherever they are, and that God lives in our hearts, and that the Jews could be a people without having to live on the land of Israel. With God's help, Jeremiah was a visionary. He realized that which was totally counter to which God was teaching before, which is that you must take care of the land the thought that the land was the essence of your being as a people. But Jeremiah knew that the Jews could remain a people by turning their hearts to the Lord and believing that one day they could return to the land. And as part of this heart shift, there would be renewal and there would be restoration, there would be forgiveness, and finally, a universal knowledge of God. This is true for all of us as believers. Wherever we may go, wherever the Lord calls us, he is with us. And when the doors of our hearts are open, then the Lord will live within us, active, protecting, encouraging, loving, and guiding, always and at all times. For me personally, the teachings and prophetic writings are such an encouragement examine my own heart, my priorities, and with God's grace, press through any situation. To lift my eyes up and to know with certainty that God our Father desires so deeply to bless, renew, and restore our hope and vision. When we acknowledge our iniquities before the Lord, and when we lay bare our heart in repentance, we can truly draw near to God and experience his grace and restoration. As we draw close, we lift our eyes towards heaven. We gain heavenly vision and perspective. We lead our old selves behind along with that which is apart from God's heart. And this enables us to accept God's invitation to step forward in faith and with a renewed hope and vision. Situations and people come and go, but the love and care of the Lord is eternal and lasting. As we look forward to this coming year, let's treasure what is good and lasting. Let's treasure our families, our friends. Let's treasure our faith, 
Let's treasure our church community. Let's treasure the health we have instead of focusing on what's not working perfectly. And let's lift our eyes to Jesus because vision is more than seeing. It's believing and trusting in what we can't yet see. It's the courage to hear and act just as Joseph did when the angel appeared to him in his dream. Vision is both how we think individually and how we as a community come together to a whole new level for something greater. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's not just about what happens to us practically, but it's how we see it. It's our attitude towards circumstance. What is faith if it does not support and encourage? And without faith, we cannot have vision. We know that faith is inherently victorious. As I have an increase in faith, I also have an increase in expectancy. And it's not that every moment is perfect. And it's not to say we won't struggle or go through trials. This year, I've laughed, I've cried, I've experienced ups and downs. But when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we look to him for all things, now we are living governed by a dynamic that allows us to elevate our thought process into a heavenly kingdom. It's a way of thinking and seeing the world that compels me to trust and to serve, to trust God no matter what. And when we live seeking first the kingdom of heaven, then elements of that kingdom begin to download into our earthly experience, bringing peace that surpasses all understanding and a joy that often makes no sense. When we live with a godly vision, we walk in joy and confidence, a vision that is constantly reminding me to set my eyes on Jesus, helps me in preparing me every single day to confront life and challenges. The beginning of vision is faith and hope. Faith is assurance and hope allows us to dream. Without faith, we cannot hope. And without hope, we cannot dream. And without faith and hope, our vision is darkened. And we're lucky if we can even see one step ahead. In our life, there may be times when we don't feel like we have a true sense of direction, when we don't have a clear vision for our futures. But the word of the Lord is eternal. And this is where faith and hope play such a vital role in discerning and holding fast to vision for the future. There are certain moments and seasons when we need to wait, to be still and let God come and direct us in his time, to know that it's okay to rest in the Lord's presence until he makes his plans and purposes clear. In other moments, there's a time to just act and move forward. And we have to learn the difference. We need to lean not on our own understanding, but in all things, trust in God. There are moments when we need to be alone with the Lord, but there are moments when we need community. As we seek to discern and seek the Lord's vision in our lives, 
we need to have good godly counsel to surround ourselves with inspiration and encouragement to press into God's path, to do everything we can to illuminate the road God desires for us, because we can be assured that there is no better way. So what does it look like for us to have vision? It's purpose, it's direction, but it's also investment. When we have vision, we tend to invest in that. If you want something in your life, it usually requires investment. Whether practical or spiritual, things require investment for growth. If we desire more of the Holy Spirit, we need to pray. If we want a better community, we should get involved. And when we do these kinds of things, investment now makes sense because we are invested towards something that is bigger than us. We have vision for something that's larger than us. And that brings strength, it brings courage, and it brings perseverance. Vision is seeing what God sees and how he sees it. We see this with Jeremiah in his steadfast obstinance in sharing the word of the Lord, even at great cost to himself. And we see this with Joseph in his willingness to hear and act on the word sent from the God. It's patience, trust, humility, surrender. It's about holy, heavenly perspective. This is a process. As I die, he is lifted up. As I begin to surrender attitudes and long-held opinions, as I begin to invest my time more in thought process, in this process, his word, his presence, then more of me begins to diminish and more of him begins to elevate in my life, in my heart, and in the driving motivation of my inner self, in my physical body, in my relationships, in my choices. And therein lies where our true faith is elevated in God's time and in God's way. It is so easy to go from vision to human ambition and never know when we left one into the other. Renewing vision is not about constructing or buying into some kind of new manufactured revelation or life goals. It's not about importing something fancier than it was before, but it's about seeing it more perfectly, surrendering to it more honestly. And in that, God then reveals what to do now. And it can be a painfully humbling process. How can we learn as individuals and a community to tap into God's kingdom, to his plans and purposes? And how do we tap into what it is God wants us to do? I think sometimes what God desires and wants for us is not as always in grand, as fancy as we might lead ourselves to believe. It may be as simple as volunteering in community, joining a small group, investing your time in helping someone in or outside your direct community. It's acts of love, acts of service, listening instead of talking and learning to forgive and say, I'm sorry. God's kingdom sees things differently. The more we grasp the awe of God, the more we realize we do not truly know how good he is. We all have a priority system. 
So what's our priority? Is this something that we struggle to answer? I wanna challenge myself this year to reflect and really look deep within myself, not looking to others and say, what truly is my priority? What matters most? Can we look inward and say, God is my priority. All we have to do is want to make him our priority. That is the most important and crucial first step. If we just want and desire God to be our priority, I believe that we're in really good shape. Can we say that we want Jesus Christ and God's kingdom to be the priority of our life? When we say we want Jesus as our priority and we seek him first, that is when we can see his kingdom manifest in our lives. You will know where your heart is by what you invest in. You can invest in praising God. You can invest in learning and studying. You can invest in community and coming together, prayer and intercession. And we can be a people who invest in sharing Jesus Christ as ministers of the gospel. In Hebrews 10, St. Paul says, let us hold fast to the confessions of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I see two very important words, without wavering. In our lives, circumstances will come along that could make us inclined to waver. There will be times of pressure. There will be times of darkness when things seem to have gone wrong and nothing is working out. What are we gonna do then? Are we going to quit or are we going to hold fast without wavering? It is in these times where faith propels and we can continue to live with godly vision and godly perspective. So let us hold fast without wavering because he is faithful who promised. We might not see him. We might not always feel him. He might seem to be far from the scene but he is still there and he is always faithful. And in the midst of everything, we are members of an unshakable kingdom. We have peace, security, and purpose. And in this, we have vision to see beyond the immediate and to stand securely in faith and hope. In today's Psalm, it says, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. When things get difficult and when things get rough, what is our response? The Bible says in Luke nine, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set his eyes, he set his face towards Jerusalem. In some translations say, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He had a vision to restore his people. The people of the earth represented through that city. He had a vision. He kept his eyes on God and we must keep our eyes on Jesus. So when we hold fast to the promises and covenant of God, we are filled with a fresh faith and a renewed hope. We can step into this new year with a renewed vision. 
with our hearts open to God's love and revelation. Finally, in today's passage from Ephesians, we see a mandate of hope, the joy of adoption into God's kingdom, and we are reminded of the new covenant of Jesus and the redemption that we have through his blood. So in closing, I wanna revisit our passage in Ephesians 1, and I'm going to actually include the omitted verses uh, 7 through 15. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he cho chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance under the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the most beautiful and inspiring passage. The forgiveness of our sins is the beginning of our ability to see with heavenly perspective and wisdom and to fully experience the spiritual blessings which God has designed from all eternity to bestow upon us in Christ. Our admission to the knowledge of the secret counsels of God is the crowning privilege conferred by his grace and the fuller manifestation of its overflowing abundance. With the barrier of sin removed, the way is open for us to enter into all the provisions God has made through the cross. We hear St. Paul's exhortation to us in this passage with a compelling urgency to unite or perish. It assures us that it is not the will of God who created the universe, that it should be perpetually divided against itself, rather that it is his gracious purpose to bring all things in the fullness of time into harmonious unity in Christ. The pledge of this ultimate unity of all things created is given in the union of Jews and Gentiles in the one church of Christ. It reminds us also that the unity among people which we so desperately need is and can be only the fruit 
of a rightly oriented life of the spirit. The unity toward which all things move is a unity in Christ. And the division of mankind are healed only when people cease to be alienated from God and from the community that lives by faith in him. When we are made alive together with Christ and lifted together to find a new plane of life in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, where we all have access in one spirit to the Father. God is known to us as our Father who loves us with a great love and causes us to sit with him in the heavenly places. Fatherhood is not simply a metaphorical description of the relationship of God to men. It is expressive of his essential nature as God. He directs in all things. He guides in all ways. And we can completely and totally trust in him, knowing that his truth and wisdom will be the ultimate guide. So this year, I pray that we can move forward in joy, unity, and with renewed vision for our lives and our communities, that we can move into this season believing and thanking, thanking and believing, and together we as a community will abide in Jesus. And in this, we can step even more fully into the fullness of God's provision and vision for our lives.